week, the comics guys explain the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, part two. Hello and welcome back. Last time we talked about, we started a discussion about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Uh, and this time we're going to keep it up with the, uh, well, everyone's favorite replacement Captain America. <laughs> you know, he got so much love online. Uh, John Walker. So um, who is John Walker? John Walker um, is uh, a character who's created uh, in the mid 80s. Uh, by Mark Grunewald, primarily. Um, and much of the storyline for this particular series is taken from uh, plots and characters that were originally created by Grunewald, um, who died in 1996, unfortunately, tragically far too young, um, and in my opinion, is the actual greatest Captain America writer ever. Um, you know, Kirby was Kirby, obviously, uh, but Gruenwald just purely as a writer was one of the great, uh, Marvel creators of all time. Uh, so John Walker, uh, first appears as a character who is called himself the super Patriot. And that's in cap number 323, November, 1986. And he is, uh, you know, he, he is a kind of like a professional celebrity, right? Like he starts out as a wrestler in the uh, Ultimate Class Wrestling Federation, uh, which is a plot device from, you know, the Gruenwald stories of the mid 80s, which is basically a wrestling uh, federation, a wrestling promotion in which superpowers were okay. Right, like it was, it was a, a place for people to actually like be able to make money using their powers uh, as wrestlers um, and and fighting each other for uh, you know for for public consumption. For a while, the thing was in fact the title holder over there, uh, and one of the characters introduced there called himself the Super Patriot, and he was basically a you know showboat. Uh, who spent a lot of time kind of like referring to Captain America as an old-fashioned, uh, out-of-date uh, patriot in the Reagan, you know, era, right? Like he was not, uh, uh, you know, sufficiently patriotic. Uh, you know, he didn't hate communists enough, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and was just not, uh, you know, kind of like up to snuff uh, to be the guy wearing the flag. And the two of them get into uh, a couple of fights. Uh, over the next several issues uh, where, you know, Super Patriot kind of like calls Captain America out uh, using his enhanced super strength, which at first we don't know where it comes from. It will later be revealed that it came from the power broker and uh, we'll, you know, talk about the power broker in a bit. Uh, then uh, Captain America and uh, uh, Super Patriot have to team up to fight a real supervillain uh, called Warhead. And they do, in fact, actually work together. And uh, Super Patriot kind of shows that despite all of his, you know, like bluster and the fact that he doesn't like Cap personally, uh, he is still basically a good guy. And, you know, he saves the day, rescues, uh, you know, like a bunch of people and draws a lot of attention to himself, becomes very popular as a celebrity. During that uh, storyline, for completely unrelated reasons, uh, the government figures out Captain America's secret identity and basically... Uh, tries to force him to go to work for them, uh, going on, you know, kind of like international missions and, uh, you know, like not taking his own, not working on his own, but basically following orders from the army. Because as far as they're concerned, Steve Rogers never left the army, right? Like he is still, you know, uh, he, he's still uh, 
their property, basically. And rather than take that job, you know, in a manner kind of similar to the Sokovia Accord story, Cap resigns. And they say, well, you know, hang on, that costume and that shield are government property. Uh, you know, we gave those to you to be Captain America. And if you're not going to be Captain America for us, then we're taking them back. And Cap says, fine, here, here's my stuff. I'm quitting. And he disappears for several issues. And the government is like, well, okay, we didn't really expect that. Now we need somebody else to put this on. And the government basically decides, the, 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 the panel handling this basically decides that Super Patriot is the guy to be the next Captain America. They'll give him the suit. They'll give him the shield. With the fact that he's got super strength already just makes him better uh, you know, for this sort of thing. So they offer him the job. Now, at this point, uh, John is hanging around. John's got a sleazy manager and several kind of like sidekick buddies who uh, have been supporting the you know, Super Patriot in the wrestling uh, you know, promotion. And they have called themselves the Buckies, standing for Bold Urban Commandos. Uh, and they are basically, you know, kind of like a heel group, you know, in this wrestling uh, uh, federation. And when John is offered this job, he says, okay, well, I'll take the job, but first you have to give all my friends jobs in the government too. And he tries to get his sleazy manager and his sidekicks all, you know, like signed up. Well, they all fail their background checks. And the government says the only one of these guys that, uh, you know, is not basically a criminal is Lamar. And so they say, okay, you can have Lamar as your sidekick, uh, but the rest of these guys are fired. And of course, they all wander off to become supervillains later. At first, they so Captain uh, Super Patriot becomes Captain America in issue number three thirty three. He gets the shield and the and the costume. Uh, that's September nineteen eighty seven. And at first, Lamar is wearing basically an adult version of Bucky's costume and calls himself Bucky. Uh, you know, as his, uh, as Cap's sidekick. Now, Mark Gruenwald is born and raised in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Not a lot of black people around there. Literally, it never occurred to him, at least according to other people's, uh, you know, discussions of this, that like calling a grown black man Bucky, uh, you know, as, as a name, uh, was in any way insulting, right? It was, you know, he just thought, oh yeah, he's Captain America's sidekick, he should be called Bucky. And it was, in fact, Dwayne McDuffie, uh, who was basically the only black person employed by Marvel at the time in 1987, had to go to his office and say, you know what, uh, you've given him a teen sidekick's name and costume. You've given him a white teenager's costume and everything for us, and you're calling him Bucky. The term Buck is not really like a term that we like to use for, you know, for black males due to you know, racial connotation dating back to slave times. And Gruenwald, to his credit, is horrified. This has never occurred to him. He had no idea. And he's just like, oh, my God, how do we fix this? Uh, you know, like, how do we straighten this out? So with McDuffie's assistance, he very he immediately writes a storyline in which uh, Lamar learns that as well. Right. Like he's approached by a guard, uh, uh, an African-American guard at the vault who says, like, what's the deal? Dude, why are you, you know, taking this identity and everything? Don't you see this is how the government is, you know, is, is keeping you down, right? Um, and so Lamar basically very quickly switches up both his costume and his name and becomes Battlestar uh, instead. And this, you know, is kind of Mark's effort to kind of say, geez, you know, hey, everybody, I'm sorry, I'm an idiot. 
you know, I, I seriously had no idea that this was a racist thing to do. So to his credit, he does in fact try to fix it. Um, Dwayne McDuffie's own adventures, kind of like battling racism, whether intentional or not within Marvel, probably should get their own episode from us at some point in the near future. I think we can pretty much promise that at some point we'll do a Dwayne McDuffie, uh, you know, kind of like tribute episode uh, about all of the stuff that he went through and wound up having to do. Uh, so anyway, we now have the Captain America and Battlestar team of, you know, kind of like new superpowered versions of Captain America. Um, there are several really entertaining plots over the course of this, obviously. Uh, it's not easy to throw that shield. And without Steve or anybody to train him on this, the new Captain America basically has to be taught by Taskmaster, who's in prison at the time. And they offer Taskmaster, you know, a few years off of his sentence if he will show, uh, you know, John how to throw the shield. And, you know, uh, John is just like, how do I know this bad guy's not going to sabotage me, right? Like how he's going to teach me something wrong, uh, you know, to uh, make sure that, uh, you know, I look bad or I die out in the field or something. But Taskmaster, of course, has his kind of like personal code of honor about this sort of thing. And he's like, if I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you right. And so he, in fact, actually shows him how to use the shield and, you know, uh, uh, actually does, in fact, successfully train him to be pretty good in using it. Um, the two of them, uh, you know, kind of like go out and start fighting crime on government missions, uh, and things go badly very quickly. Meanwhile, Steve has now put on the black, red, white, and black version of the costume and has his old time shields, the non adamantium one, and is now operating undercover as the captain, uh, and is, you know, kind of like trying to figure out what precisely is going on with this government uh, agency and, uh, you know, kind of like work behind the scenes. Um, John is and, and Lamar signed to take out an organization, a racist organization called the Watchdogs. And it turns out that the other two, uh, you know, kind of like henchmen uh, wrestlers have joined them uh, and are, you know, like working with them and basically reveal John's secret identity to the world on stage just because they they're mad at him for not getting a job with the government. And this leads the watchdogs to uh, assassinate uh, John's parents, uh, you know, as, as kind of like retaliation for his efforts to, uh, you know, to, to stop them in their shenanigans. And this basically causes John to lose his mind. And in his rage, he kills uh, both his like two nutjob sidekicks and several other supervillains uh, before, you know, kind of like being brought in by the captain. Um, Cap in, and, uh, you know, the two Captain Americas basically have it out. Uh, and Cap uh, more or less is able to defeat John. But John kind of like is, you know, notably won't quit. Right. Like he's so uh, obsessed. He doesn't know when he's beaten. Um, and eventually Cap figures out that this is all once again, of course, the schemes of the Red Skull and the Red Skull has secretly been on the government, uh, you know, uh, a board that started all of this stuff in the first place. And uh, he manages to convince John uh, to stop fighting and to assist him in going after the Red Skull, which they do successfully. And obviously, you know, with Captain America kind of like going nuts. Uh, and, uh, you know, killing a bunch of people is not really acceptable. And so it's kind of announced that Steve Rogers is, you know, taking the, uh, taking the shield back up again. 
uh, the original is. They still don't, he's still keeping a secret identity, but they basically say the original is back. And John's death is faked by the government and he becomes uh, the US agent instead. And he now he is wearing the red, white, and black costume that Captain was wearing uh, you know, when he was operating undercover. And so he becomes the US agent in Avengers, uh, I'm sorry, in Captain America 354, which is uh, June of 89. And from that point on, US agent basically kicks around the Marvel Universe uh, you know, for the next 30 years, mostly working with teens because he's really, as a character, is much more fun when other people are reacting to him, right? Because he's like the, the not Captain America. He's the guy all full of, you know, patriotism and America first and, you know, red, white, and blue all the way. Um, and, you know, we need to be tough in our foreign policy. We need to kill foreigners. We need to, you know, fight terrorism and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, having that come from somebody who is dressed kind of like Captain America is a great reaction shot for other characters, right? So you don't see U.S. agent operating solo that often. In short order, he uh, is a member of the West Coast Avengers for a bit. And then when that group splits up, he joins the side that is uh, kind of, you know, like pro-interventionism, uh, uh, which is calls themselves Forceworks, and he's part of that team for a bit. Then he becomes a mercenary working for money for a group called the Jury. And then he joins, in short order, Stars, the New Invaders, Omega Flight, and then uh, returns to the Avengers. The Omega Flight one is amazing, by the way. Yeah, Omega yeah, Flight. That's when the that's when they're Canadian. The yeah. the, the the Canadian Tony Stark sends the, to the Canadian team during the uh, Fifty States Initiative. Right, exactly. Hilarious. He tries to replace Captain America in the New Invaders, right? And in that team has both you know the original Human Torch and Namor on it, both of whom are constantly like, "We know Steve Rogers. You're no Steve Rogers." Right, they spend the entire series just shitting on him, uh, like to hilarious effect. Um, and in that one, his each time he comes back, each time he reappears, he has a new and shittier version of the shield. <laughs> right, like each one is like lamer and stupider and more annoying than the previous one, and they all get destroyed. The big star shield, like yeah, like a big iron star. Yeah, right. Yep, or the golden star one, the pointy one. Right, that's right. the worst one, the one that he has in the Invaders, because he's now wearing one that is basically like it's shaped like a star with you know like points, um, and so he's using it to stab people all the time. <laughs> and inscribed on it are the names of everybody who died on 9/11. <laughs> right, it, he's like literally that big an asshole. <laughs> you know, it's like let me stab all of these terrorists with something that's literally got the name of everybody who died on 9/11. Right, we didn't ask for permission to use their names or anything; we just did it. You know. Uh, which is to me like the perfect summary of uh, of John Walker as a character. He uh, returns to the Avengers for a bit, and while he is fighting uh, Norman Osborn's version of the Thunderbolts, he loses uh, his left arm and his left leg in a fight, and so he kind of has to retire for a bit. He's you know disability basically, and he winds up for a while uh, taking a desk job as the warden at the raft. He's the guy kind of like in charge of the, uh, you know, of the jail wearing, you know, civilian clothes because he's got a, you know, like prosthetic arm and leg that, you know, he's getting around on. However, he then, uh, you know, the, the, the entire city of New York, uh, you know, gets sent into an alternate dimension. And for a while, he gets the Venom symbiote attached to himself. 
and the Venom symbiote lets him regrow his arm and leg. So now he's got his, his original arm and leg back. He doesn't have the artificial ones anymore. And uh, he rejoins the army. And uh, most recently, he was kicking around on the new Forceworks team. Right. Um, so he just continues to show up out there, uh, you know, regularly um, as kind of like the anti-Captain America. Mm -hmm. Lamar also has kicked around out there as Battlestar considerably less. Um, he was in the Wild Pack when they had a series, when Silver Sable had her own series. Um, he was part of her kind of, you know, bringing in War Criminals team, which was not bad. There was some interesting stuff in those. Um, and then he has mostly just kind of like shown up for a few panels here and there without ever really getting a lot to do uh, in other stories. But he is still alive as opposed to, you know, the Lamar of the MCU, so... Who I thought was pretty good, actually. Uh, I liked that. I, he was, I thought he did a fabulous job in a very short part. He didn't get a whole lot of time to, you know, yeah. show off. But I thought the actor did an excellent job, you know, yeah. selling him. So, Yeah, I got him pretty much immediately. All right, so uh, moving on from that to the next, uh, well, originally, uh, I guess, sort of flag-themed character, uh, Flag Smasher. Flag Smasher. Flag Smasher is from right around the same time uh, as the, uh, the Super Patriot uh, John Walker stories, right? This is also from the same Gruenwald run uh, from the mid '80s. He first appears in Captain America number three twelve, uh, which is December of nineteen eighty-five. Uh, his name is Carl Morgenthau. He's a guy, not a woman, um, and he is uh, the son of a Swiss banker slash diplomat. And uh, you know, he spent all of his time traveling the world with his diplomat parents and was raised really wealthy and basically was kind of like Bruce Wayne, right? Like he, you know, was like uh, you know, super rich uh and was like trained in everything, uh, you know, had had the had the best teachers money could buy, kind of thing. And he basically became obsessed with the idea of like he wanted world peace. And the problem was that, like, people were still attached to nations and patriotism, right? It was kind of like the same idea as the Flag Smashers in the, in, in the MCU, that, like, the problem was countries. The problem was nationalism and patriotism. And if we all recognized that we were all in the same, you know, in the same boat, if we were all the same people, uh, we could solve many more of the world's problems and not go to war. And so he kind of like set himself up as a Captain America like symbol for the idea of like destroying the concept of nations. And Captain America was his enemy because he was, you know, he, he was trying to undercut Captain America's whole idea of patriotism, that there was anything special about America itself as a concept. So he is fighting Captain America and he's, you know, doing all of this stuff, but he still has that kind of like, I'm doing this for world peace. And Captain America would, you know, regularly be in philosophical arguments with him, trying to convince him that he was crazy, that, you know, doing all of these terrible things in the name of peace was a, you know, was a nutty idea. For a bit, once again, because the Red Skull is like behind everything during this run that Gruenwald is writing, uh, Red Skull is funding uh flag smashers operations and he doesn't know about it uh and so when he discovers that he basically has a face turn and teams up with captain america to go beat up the red skull but then the next couple of times he appears he's gone back to basically being a terrorist and it's never really explained uh you know like why he turned bad again it seemed like he was going to be a good guy the last time we saw him um and so he appears a couple more times and then gruenwald dies and stops writing captain america and he just kind of disappeared for a bit 
Uh, he showed up again in 1999. Uh, now he was this kind of like steroided monster addled by drugs who was working for Roxon. Uh, and, uh, you know, he fought some superheroes for a bit and got his butt kicked. And then he showed up in the Citizen V solo, uh, which was kind of like carried on from Thunderbolts, where he was once again a bad guy. Um, and it also had uh, returned to uh, his normal human form, uh, once again, with no explanation. And then has only appeared since then. He was punked so bad, basically, uh, that he is described as having been assassinated off panel by Domino in a Deadpool cable comic. Uh, now, obviously, you know, Deadpool is probably not the comic that you want to go to for actual facts about the Marvel Universe. <laughs> but as far as his like last actual, you know, like name being thrown around, apparently he was killed off panel by Domino for reasons. And, you know, we don't know. So he has not appeared actually face to face in a comic in almost 20 years. You know, one, one would hope that uh, as a as a kind of interesting Grunewald uh, bad guy, he kind of deserves better. And I'm glad they at least brought the concept back. Uh, for the show, even if it was, you know, kind of like portrayed very differently. And in the end, I didn't think the Flag Smashers were that interesting hmm. a villain, but I was at least happy to kind of like see the name be. All right. So moving on from there, uh, we have probably the most established bad guy um, that shows up in this, uh, in this show, uh, Baron Zemo. And Who I think both of us agree was the breakout star. I think of the of the series. Absolutely. Daniel Brühl is yeah. amazing, and he was just awesome as the role. Absolutely, um, he was very good in in Civil War. I thought as a as a character, he's a very interesting villain in Civil War, mm -hmm. and I did always kind of hope that we would see more of him. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm delighted that he seems to be back and will be important going forward. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he was he was great. Um, but the story of him in the comics doesn't start in Sokovia or even with nope, him. Nope, not at all. Um, it starts uh, back in World War II with his dad. Exactly. Uh, once again, as we said in Captain America, uh, as we said last episode, in mm -hmm. Avengers number four, when Captain America first appears, is also the first appearance of Baron Zemo. Baron Zemo is the Nazi bad guy who is launching the rocket that Cap and Bucky have to climb onto. Right, and that is his first appearance in the comics. He was he is retconned a a golden age character. He was not really one of Cap's World War II, uh, you know, villains in the actual original World War II comics. He's not a he's not a timely character. Uh, Stan invented him for the purposes of that story, knowing that Cap was going to need a bad guy, you know, very quickly uh, early on in the Avengers stories to kind of like establish himself. So he first appears in that flashback in Avengers number four, and then of course very promptly. You know, he is, of course, still alive uh, because at the time it was only, you know, 1964 and the war had only happened 20 years ago. Um, he is, you know, revealed to be still alive uh, and is startled to see that Captain America has come back to life because he was pretty sure he'd killed him. Um, and so, you know, he immediately kind of like returns to his life of villainy uh, or kind of like makes his life of villainy more public uh, by attempting to, you know, get it right this time and kill Captain America. And so he becomes the uh, Avengers kind of like number one bad guy for the first year or two of their comic. He's the most frequently appearing villain in the comic. He creates the original Masters of Evil to fight uh, the Avengers. Uh, the first version of the Masters of Evil, he basically like takes one each of all of the other Avengers bad guys and like makes an opposite team to them, right? So he, he gets uh, the radioactive man to fight Thor and the Melter to fight Iron Man. 
and the Black Knight to fight Giant Man, and then he'll take on Captain America. That's a you know a, a fair fight, which we'll make fun of that joke later. Those guys lose, and uh, Zemo's pretty much the only one who gets away from their first encounter. Zemo then turns uh, teams up with uh, the Enchantress and the Executioner, uh, two more of Thor's bad guys, and the three of them form a new Masters of Evil who show up over and over again for the first year. They're pretty much in like every other issue. Um, and in Avengers number 15, while the rest of the team is fighting the superpowered villains in the Masters of Evil, uh, Captain America and Rick Jones have chased Baron Zemo to South America and take him on solo. And in that uh, battle, Zemo accidentally basically starts a landslide with his laser blast uh, that was meant to kill Captain America, and he dies in the avalanche um, that kills him. And that's basically the end of, of Heinrich Zemo, the original Baron Zemo. Um, he's been retconned since then into a whole bunch of World War II stories that were told after the fact, right? Um, in which he is established as, for example, the guy who killed the original Citizen V, uh, who was a you know World War II superhero. Um, that Heinrich is, in fact, actually the one who killed him, you know, as a hero back then, which will become important to the Thunderbolt stuff later. He, Heinrich Zemo has no superpowers. Uh, he's just a brilliant mad scientist who's also a pretty good enough hand-to-hand -hand fighter to at least hang with Captain America in a fight. And he is the inventor of Adhesive X, uh, which is the most powerful glue that humans have ever created. And that doesn't sound that impressive until you get, you know, shot with his glue gun or something and realize that, like, you know, you need superhuman strength to get out. However, he's a little bit uh, inept in that uh, at one point his adhesive X gets spilled on his face while he is wearing his mask. And so he can't ever take off his mask. Right. Like he is uh, he is stuck wearing this mask that fortunately he can breathe through and more or less see through. But he has to, like, take food intravenously because he can't get his mask off. Uh, to actually eat. So he's kind of, you know, inept. He's, he's a bit laughable as a character, you know, kind of like when he first appears. He's a very Stanley, uh, you know, ridiculous character. His son, Helmut, is the one that we know, is the one that, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, Daniel Bruce's character is based on. He first shows up in Captain America number 168 in December of 1973, so about eight or nine years after his dad has died. Uh, and in his first appearance, he calls himself Phoenix, because uh, that was a name that wasn't being used at Marvel at the time. Uh, but fairly quickly, uh, when you know he comes back a few more times, he uh, you know establishes himself son and takes on his dad's identity, and then even has the same kind of accident that his dad did, gluing his mask to his face. Uh, I guess showing that it kind of runs in the family. What a what a weird curse. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he basically kind of just steps into dad's role, you know, with no particular difficulty. And once again, he's going to get, you know, screwed over on the timing things, right? Like, I mean, as World War II gets farther away, the idea that, you know, Heinrich had a son who is, you know, the same age as Captain America currently is, is going to get more and more implausible. And eventually we're going to have to like do some retcons in here to, you know, straighten this out and establish, uh, you know, extended lifespans for everybody in the Zemo family. But Zemo, the new Baron Zemo, uh, you know, appears uh, for a while in Captain America. He shows up, you know, off and on as a recurring villain. For a bit, he's in charge of Hydra. Uh, Hydra goes through a bunch of different leaders over the 70s and 80s. And, uh, you know, he's one of them, basically. Doesn't last that long. 
And then he is the guy who creates the new Masters of Evil for one of my all-time favorite comic book stories, which is the Avengers Mansion Siege storyline. That's in uh, Avengers 273, 274 in November of 1986, where Zemo has the brilliant idea uh, that somehow has never occurred to another supervillain before of, why do I stop recruiting bad guys when I have the same number as the heroes? That seems like a dumb idea. Why don't I get like 30 bad guys and attack that way and, and like outnumber the heroes? There's only like six guys in the Avengers. And somehow this has never occurred to any other villain before and thereby makes Baron Zemo uh, by default one of the most brilliant bad guys who's ever existed. <laughs> right? It's just numbers. Seriously, nobody ever thought of this to, to start out with. So he basically raises an army of supervillains and actually attacks the Avengers mansion with a plan. And it almost works. It comes perilously close to working. Um, you know, several heroes are badly injured in this. Alfred is... Uh, not Alfred. Uh, Jarvis, Jarvis. Uh, is is uh, is messed up uh, by this. He like loses an eye at one point during the story, um, and a whole bunch of you know like nastiness goes on. The uh, Hercules is beaten into a coma, uh, and Wasp has to like raise an entire new team to come help. I mean, it's just it's it's a very powerful, very intense storyline, and it really established Baron Zemo as a bad guy. Right, like the, the plan comes so close to succeeding that like the idea of, oh, this is the master bad guy we have to be worried about. His plans are, you know, scary and dangerous and make sense, right? Um, so he appears a few more times after that that are, are not quite as interesting. But then of course he is in the famous Thunderbolts number one. Um, and I think we've talked about this a couple of times in the history of uh, Marvel. We talked about it for a bit, but basically, uh, while the Avengers and Fantastic Four uh, are gone, are you know have been uh, disappeared into another dimension during the onslaughts, Kurt Busiek writes a series uh, that begins with six brand new superheroes that we've never seen before, uh, and uh, you know goes through the entire setup of introducing them to the to the worlds, and they all have interesting powers, and they all have interesting personalities, and they are here to kind of like fill the void. Uh, in the absence of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, and here we are, a bunch of good guys, uh, and we do good deeds and save the day, and everybody loves us. And then, famously, on the very last page of issue number one, they all take off their masks and reveal themselves to be the masters of evil in disguise. Right? That Citizen V, their leader, is in fact Baron Zemo, and each of the other heroes in the Thunderbolts is one of the masters of evil villains, um, and that this is all a scam. That this is all, you know, the idea of like creating the Thunderbolts is basically so the villains can, you know, like operate, uh, you know, within, uh, within the law, basically, and you know, like take advantage of the fact that everybody assumes that that they're good guys, so that they can be even more bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. And it's one of the all-time great twist reveals. It is one of the all-time great, uh, you know, single pages I think of comic book history is that revelation. Nobody saw it coming, right? Don't tell, don't believe anybody who tells you they knew in advance. <laughs> you know, they didn't. It's a lie, right? It fooled everybody, and it was brilliant. Uh, Thunderbolts for the first couple of years is a great series, and of course, you know, like Busiek rings several changes on the ideas of heroes. Right? Several of them stay bad guys and are fully 
you know, just like trying to get what they can out of this plan. But a couple of them start thinking, you know what, being a good guy is kind of awesome, right? I, mm -hmm. I totally see why the good guys are good guys. It's, it's great to be loved by the public. It's great to, you know, like have everybody think you're, you know, it, it's, it's nice to go to bed at night knowing you helped people, right? They start to kind of like have a conscience about like being bad guys. Um, and so they wind up tossing, uh, you know, Zemo out as leader. Uh, and kind of, you know, there's a rebellion against him. And, uh, you know, the, the whole couple of storylines, basically, of those first two years or so of Thunderbolts um, are really strong, are really good characters. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, he's forced out as leader. He gets, uh, Baron Zemo gets, winds up swapped into another guy's body retakes the team tries to take over the world um etc cetera, etc cetera. he's you know kind of like uh, still out there he never really kind of rises again to the great uh you know the great level that he was at uh say from the time of like siege through where he was like one of marvel's absolute number one bad guys um he's actually the guy in the brewbreaker storyline who reveals uh bucky's existence to the world He's the one who actually kind of like tells everyone, oh, this guy, the new Captain America, that's, you know, that's the guy who was the Winter Soldier. He used to be Bucky. Um, and uh, that happens in uh, 2010 in uh, Captain America number 608. Uh, for a bit around the time that he is first in Civil War, he winds up kind of taking over Hydra again. Um, in the Cap Hydra storyline, in the, the, the stories in which Cap's past history have been changed by the cosmic cube to make him evil and secretly an agent of hydra all of this time uh zemo's backstory is also changed so that he and steve were friends in their childhoods that he was he and cap were best friends growing up when they were both like part of the hydra family and were like going to you know like run hydra side by side and so when he uh you know kind of like is when when cap figures out his uh, true identity and, you know, d uh, does his face turn again for us. Uh, the whole time, Zemo was going like, how could you betray us? We used to be best friends, right? Like, he's genuinely sad that Captain America has turned on him because he still remembers, you know, like, all of their great times as, as childhood friends. Mm -hmm. um, and most recently, he is now back in charge running Hydra, though nobody knows that he's doing it. He's, in fact, actually, like, manipulating other people uh, from behind the scenes, but has been revealed to be kind of like the secret brains behind the current operation of hydra in the comics right now yeah one of my all-time favorite bad guys absolutely i remember after in that 2010 run when um when brubaker brought him back uh as the villain people got like really upset because they enjoyed all of his he had he had just finished his big arc in thunderbolts and then had his own like limited series um people were really upset with him uh going back to being like sort of just like a cacklingly mad villain and ended up, I think, I think he rewrote it to make him like more like, I don't know. I, if I, I can't remember the exact issue, but I think he makes it more like a, a, te a him testing Bucky, um, which is how he ends up like changing it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's a great character. Um, so from there, um, a character who's also great, but very different. Than, uh, <laughs> than how she is in the comics, uh, Sharon Carter. Um, right. So where when when does Sharon Carter first show up? Sharon Carter, her first appearance is in Tales of Suspense number seventy five, way back in nineteen sixty six, 
And Cap has, uh, you know, just recently left the Avenger, and he's working with Shields for the first time. He and Nick Fury are, you know, our buddies. And Shields, Cap is kind of like going on missions for Shield and and doing stuff. And several times he runs into a mysterious female agent who is called uh, Agent Thirteen, and he never knows her name. He never gets her real name, and somehow she's never around at the end of a story kind of thing so he's just like wow she's so beautiful and i can't figure out why she seems so familiar etc etc i can't understand what's going on um you know and and like the the writers always kind of like manipulate some way that she like is is gone at the end of the story um and during this stretch we also do several flashbacks establishing that captain america had a relationship with this woman peggy carter during the war in that she was kind of, you know, like, an, uh, you know, had something to do with the military uh, and, you know, like was involved in his missions. Um, and, it, you know, the relationship wasn't quite the same as it is in the MCU, but clearly Cap had, you know, like a, a relationship with her, was kind of like in love with her from afar kind of thing. And he suddenly realizes, oh, that's what it is. This woman today, 20 whatever years later, um, looks an awful lot like her. That's why I'm so kind of like hung up on her. Um, is that she reminds me of Peggy. Yeah, oh, you know, like, I can't understand why I haven't figured this out. And then eventually he, like, you know, gets to finally, he's, like, you know, trapped in a room with Agent 13 or whatever, and she reveals to him that she is, in fact, Sharon Carter, the younger sister of his old girlfriend, um, which, you know, was just barely plausible in 1966, 1967, right? Like, if Cap hasn't seen her since 1945, uh, it's just barely plausible that like his adult you know girlfriend from world war ii could have a baby sister who is now in her 20s in 1967 sure okay that's that's doable um of course that's had to have been retconned over and over again historically um as you know peggy and world war ii kind of like stay in one place in time and sharon keeps moving forward further and farther away from them. um currently uh, Sharon is, I believe, Peggy's niece or grandniece or something like that. She's like the granddaughter of like Peggy's brother. Peggy's own story has been retconned multiple times, so we're not entirely clear what's going on. But in the 60s into the early 70s, uh, Sharon becomes Captain America's recurring uh, girlfriend. She's not his only girlfriend. We're going to meet another one uh, later in this episode. Uh, but uh, she's kind of like the most frequent. And uh, she gets killed in the late 70s by the grand director and the grand director is william burnside the uh you know the the insane captain america the commie hating captain america um who you know basically like sets her on fire and kills her in front of steve and it's a you know horrible gwen stacy type death of you know like oh my god i can't believe you know killed off my supporting character right in front of me how how evil and villainous are you um this will, of course, be retconned. Again, this will be fixed later, uh, where it will turn out that the whole scheme was by Nick Fury to put her undercover, uh, you know, like uh, so that she could infiltrate the Red Skulls operation. It basically was faking her death. And of course, somehow nobody could tell Captain America about this. Um, so she comes back and she comes back. It turns out that S.H.I.E.L.D., she's pissed at S.H.I.E.L.D. because uh, during this time that she was undercover, S.H.I.E.L.D. got word that she had been killed undercover, uh, that was false, and basically abandoned her in the field. And so she felt betrayed by S.H.I.E.L.D. that like nobody came to check on this ridiculous story of her dying. And so she was now mad at S.H.I.E.L.D. and was actually helping uh, you know, bad guys, including the Red Skull, 
you know, as, as a villainess, and she kind of like opposes Captain America for a while, uh, you know, out of her hatred for Shield, and like, you know, why didn't any of you ever come to help me? Which is, you know, kind of at least mirrors the uh, the, the storyline in Falcon and the Winter Soldier a little bit. Right. Um, however, Cap fights her and then kind of, you know, straightens her out, basically convinces her to do a face turn again uh, and turns her back into a good guy. She rejoins S.H.I.E.L.D. and for a bit when Nick Fury is missing, she actually becomes executive director of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a bit. Um, she then gets manipulated again by the Red Skull with his, the assistance of the criminal psychologist, Dr. Faustus. They brainwash her into being the one who actually assassinates. She's the one who bullet that seems to kill him but in fact actually sends him back in time right um so while he is gone during all of kind of like the succeeding storylines where we also have you know sam and and bucky doing their things in the story she has an entire kind of like running story where she is uh fighting the red skull she tries to kill the grand director she tries to kill burnside for a bit gets kidnapped doing that then she kills the body that Red Skull was possessing, but Red Skull's like spirit gets away and due to shenanigans, but she does kill the Russian guy that he was like possessing. Uh, so there's a whole, you know, set of stories about that. Uh, she's part of the team that rescues Steve from being lost in time, brings him back. And when they bring him back, he forms his secret Avengers team with kind of like more or less in charge of it. Um, she then gets stranded in another dimension for a while. Uh, and comes back, takes over S.H.I.E.L.D. again when Maria Hill goes on trial, and as far as I'm aware now, is still kind of like currently kicking around in the background of several uh, Captain America stories. She is, you know, in various kind of like government operations and activities where she is still a secret agent. She and Cap are not currently in a romantic relationship uh, uh, again, but that could, you know, kind of like reemerge anytime. I think she's also still aged. I think that, yeah, uh, she's Cap older Cap than she lost. She she got old in the other dimension. Yeah, for a bit. Cap, so she is still. Cap got reverted to his normal, uh, to his you know, uh, can't you know, traditional like age yeah. in his mid thirties, but she did not. Right, because um, she spent she she spent like decades in the other dimension when yeah. only like a few days had passed for the rest of us. So yeah, um, yeah, she's really awesome in the Secret Avengers uh story too. She's she's you know she's a pile of fun. If you go back to those early '60s stories, she is definitely one of the first um, kind of like female badasses in Marvel, right? Mm -hmm. At a time when you know the Wasp and uh, Sue Storm and everybody were fainting all the time, you know, from like fighting bad guys. She's you know kicking butt and taking names as Agent Thirteen, right? She's actually uh, you know like a pretty seriously proto-feminist you know character at a time when there weren't very many of them in Marvel, you know. <laughs> so, well, all right. And uh, with that, we're actually going to pause right there. Um, next time we get back, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of the surprise characters, characters that we didn't know were in this uh, show to start with, uh, starting with uh, Mr. Red, White, and Black, and, or, uh, yeah, Red, White, and Black himself. So thanks so much for joining us. Joining us. I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming.